to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. So, hey, Jess, today we're going to talk about our bodies, our weight, dieting, and and what it means to be fat positive, fat accepting, and and your work. Uh, If you would, for listeners, tell everybody like who you are, however your bio comes to you, if you will. Okay, sure. My name is Jess Brackfitz. I am the founder of Enlighten Well, LLC. I am a gym class dropout turned fitness professional and personal trainer. So I you know, spent my youth kind of hating my body, feeling like, you know, always the fat kid. In young adulthood, I went through many years of dieting and trying to work out to change my body. Then several years ago, my relationship with fitness changed a lot when I discovered intuitive eating and that dramatically changed my whole approach to fitness and working out. So I had already been in progress of becoming a personal trainer after, uh, so after that shift occurred and I got my personal training certification. Um, now I offer body positive or weight neutral personal training services. Kind of me in a nutshell. Um, regarding, you know, your personal experience, let's start there. Cause I did listen to an, an episode that you were on with somebody else and was so inspired by your story. Uh, will you tell listeners where your weight issues, where it started, you know, when you were growing up? So I'm the oldest of four kids and my younger three siblings are all, they were all pretty skinny kids and I was always the chunky one. Um, so growing up, you know, I, you know, like my brothers made fun of me, called me thunder thighs and all that kind of dumb stuff. And I think that I spent a lot of time with my grandmother when I was a kid and she was um, this incredible powerhouse of a woman. She was the first woman who was elected to our like local township council. And she was just this amazing woman who was like an entrepreneur and all of this awesome stuff. And she also hated her body for, I mean, like ever. Um, and she was constantly comparing herself to other women. We would be out in places and, you know, she was just good for like, Jess, am I fatter or smaller than that woman? Like no matter where we were. And, you know, she was always the woman where like she would jump on the scale pretty much every morning. I think she weighed herself and that number would set the tone for the day. She would come down all disgruntled because she'd be like, I weigh two more pounds today. Mm-hmm. I feel like, Graham, why don't you go poop? You'll lose mm-hmm. two pounds real quick. <laughs> so I think that growing up, it was just really normalized mm-hmm. to to kind of struggle with your body, to compare your body to other people's bodies. You know, and so I struggled with that a lot, a lot through my teen years, you know, and I, I am in my late 30s so like i was a kid in the 90s when the look was like that kate moss and like the yeah. i don't know like gwyneth mm-hmm. paltrow like mm-hmm. those tall skinny leggy blondes with super long very very extremely straight hair which i have like none of the above you know i think you just start feeling like that there's not really room for body diversity that you need to try and make yourself fit into something that you're really not going to be able to fit into, you know? I, I do. So growing up, were your weight issues such that you were, were, were you a little bit bigger than, weighed a little bit more than your friendship groups or, you know, just other people that you were around as well? So yes. And I mean, in my teen years, one of my like best friends was, she just like she was just a stunning young woman you know what i mean and so my best friend was like she was the girl that every guy that i would have a crush on would be like hey do you think like do you think you could set me up with gwen oh yeah <laughs> like, mm-hmm. 
Sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Let me see what I can do. Um, so, and yes, there definitely was struggle with, you know, like your young girls and you're going out and um, trying on like prom dresses or swimsuits or, you know, whatever. And, you know, my couple of girlfriends were like, God, it'd be a pretty good amount smaller than I was. Um, yeah. And I wasn't, I don't want to like, I don't like to talk specific numbers because sure. I feel like it just leads to weird yeah. and unnecessary comparison. But I yeah. also feel like it's important. Like I kind of like to use this scale of fatness where people talk about like small fat, kind of medium fat, and then mm -hmm. like large fat or infinite fat. And I have tended to stay in like a small fat kind of body size. Mm -hmm. And that's probably like about where I was as a teen. You know, I was probably the smaller end of plus sizes, but mm -hmm. at that time I could probably shop in like some straight size stores. Yeah. But, uh, you know, definitely when you're going out with your little girlfriends to whatever store and I'm in like literally the biggest size that that store has. Yes. That's, you know, it's yeah. a little bit of a thing. Um, yeah. and, and I love that you're not mentioning a certain weight because for the majority of women, I know we compare ourselves like, Oh, well, she's talking about me or she's saying, you know, and we internalize that. Yeah. So I love how we're saying, well, this was my body size. This was my weight, but without, because again, we have a tendency to compare and then it can dive into some self-hatred and shame. And yeah. Yeah. So that, kind yeah. Of stuff. During this time and, and I didn't experience this as a teenager, I experienced it in adulthood where I would go with friends shopping who were they were in single digits. I was in double digits. And I'm like, there's nothing for me in this section. Right. <laughs> what? I'm just yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I was, I was reading or, or heard, maybe it was on a different podcast. I don't know. But the woman was talking about like, if you're a straight sized person, like don't invite your plus size friend to go clothing shopping with you because it's not going to be a nice experience for your plus size friend. Like, yeah. It's just not. It was also just, have you ever experienced where someone who was a straight size or who was, who was a much smaller, significantly smaller size and you hear them body shaming themselves and or saying, Oh, I need to lose weight. And I'm like, if you think that about yourself, what are you saying about me? Like internally, what are you, how are you judging yes. me? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I can tell you that for myself, when I was like super deep in diet culture, mm -hmm. um, I would definitely see other women in larger bodies that I felt like looked good or, you know, and they mm -hmm. looked like they were happy and living a good life. And, and I felt like it applied to them but for some reason it didn't apply to me or to my own body and it took a bit more work and a bit of like unpacking that because there's definitely some dynamics around like body shape and fatness yes talk more about that <laughs> so you know i think i think that and especially now that we've gotten this uh kind of like big booty small waist Yes. thing has become like the current aesthetic that you can be big and still have a very socially acceptable body as long as it kind of fits that shape oh, oh, oh. Yep. yes <laughs> yes so like as long as you fit that kind of overall shape the size isn't doesn't like matter as much but then you see a lot of women who are in more, I don't know, like, I guess, apple shape or pear shape or where their weight just doesn't, it doesn't go to that, uh, I don't like tiny waist shape. You know, it's sort of a, a struggle, I think, for, for folks. So, but I guess talking about um, how I could see some women where yeah. it was like, well, she's big and her body's okay, but mine isn't. But you didn't see it in yourself. You could you could say, oh, they're attractive or they look good, but it just was was hard to feel that for yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. I wanted to go back to, to, you were talking about your grandmother and how she got obsessed with her weight 
and weighed herself every day. And I know so many women can identify with that. If you didn't get on the scale and see that number, like what difference does that two pounds make in your, in your life? Right. Like if you didn't know that the two pounds was there, how would your day be different? It wouldn't, it would be beautiful. It would be beautiful if I didn't get on the scale and obsess, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That level of awareness is what myself and listeners need. And so as it relates to, to you kind of growing up, how was even outside of your grandmother, uh, how, how was weight, was that talked about at all within your family and, and just, you know, whatever circles you were in? Yeah. So my one uncle, so this is, so my grandmother, the one that I mentioned, my mom was from her first first husband and then she divorced him, remarried, has my uncle who's 10 years younger than my mom. So he falls almost right between my mom and my age. And he was like, he was definitely a fat kid growing up and then he hit his teens and I don't know, like noticed girls, I guess, and decided he, he wasn't doing that anymore. And I'm going to say, I think he developed some pretty disordered eating habits, maybe, or maybe not like full blown eating disorder. Then he bought himself one of those like old school, uh, like Bowflex, like lifting machines, Uh set that drawn up in his room and got himself to, you know, I don't know, like little jacked, beefy looking 16 year old dude look. So like, I can remember being at a family party, like someone's birthday, eating a piece of cake. Then I went back to get a second piece of cake and he was like, you know, 16, 17 years old. So he was in the thick of his, like, you know, trying to be big, muscly teenage dude. And he like stopped me and was like, kind of gave me like a, you're going to end up fat if you, and I ended up like in tears off in some other room. And then he felt super bad and was like, no, I'm just trying to look out for you. The thing thinking back on it that like, like, so what if I do end up fat? Right. Like, so what? So what? Like, what does that mean about me or about anybody? You know, and I think folks can get sort of caught up in the, uh, the health idea, the ideas that are promoted in our culture about fat being inherently unhealthy. And there's a lot of research showing that that sort of widely accepted idea that like fat equals unhealthy is not really accurate. But also I think it speaks to our ideas about who is lovable and who is worthy. Oh, that's profound. Go ahead. And I think, you know, when you see a kid or young person who you care about eating in a way that you perceive is going to make them quote fat, you feel like this this kid is going to make themselves unlovable and unworthy. And so, yeah, sure, in his head, he was just looking out for me. He's trying to make sure that I stay worthy and and lovable. But I think the whole idea that only certain bodies are worthy and lovable is flawed, like deeply, profoundly flawed to begin with. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that's at its core. And, and even as I was hearing you talk about this experience with your uncle. I don't know if this was your experience, but I grew up on the opposite end of that in which I was this really scrawny kid and I got made fun of relentlessly for being skinny and I couldn't gain weight. And so then that was a whole thing of you need to eat more. Why aren't you? But I'm eating, but, but you're too skinny. And so then I hated my body. And and so that, that, that happens. And because this person makes a comment about the food you're eating and your weight and all of these things, then sometimes we can internalize that and make, you know, kind of feel like, well, I'm not good enough. My body's not good enough. Right. What happened? What, what was the shift for you in terms of how you related to your body? And you may even want to talk about how you even thought about your own body going from, you know, teenager into adult, how did you feel just, you know, in your own skin, in your own body, looking in the mirror, putting on your clothes? And and then when did things begin to shift for you in that regard? I mean, I guess coming into like young adulthood, 
I sort of struggled back and forth with feeling like there were times when like I liked how I looked or, you know, felt like, but I still didn't fit quite like neatly into uh, like a, like, like a accepted norm, I guess, you know, and often felt like, uh, like, I wish I could just like lose weight off my stomach or, you know, whatever, you know, and then at the same time, like, I think that I think back to like times where I did feel like, oh, I look cute that you kind of, or at least I did felt like you can't really say that out loud because then you sound like arrogant or conceited, you know, and you don't want to sound like, like, I don't know. Oh, she thinks she's cute. Yeah. (laughs) She thinks she is. Um, So it's such a weird dichotomy sometimes. Like you can't, you can't be like too high on yourself (laughs) because people judge you for that. But you also, you know, need to have some kind of confidence. I don't know. It's like, just seems like no matter what you do, sometimes uh, someone's going to be unhappy about it. (laughs) You're exactly right. Because it it, it seemed like, at least from my experience, and based off of societal norms and expectations and whatnot, and just the, the messages that we're fed in our families and communities as it relates to body and weight, on one hand, they want us to be super conscious and, and even addicted to our, our bodies and weight and, and size and shape yeah, and all of that. And and they, they market it as, no, we're thinking about your health when it's not even really about, <laughs> right. about that. Yeah. In my mind, it's it's fitting into, you need to be worried about fitting into patriarchal norms of what's acceptable. Yes. What a, what a woman should look like. But then on the opposite end, have confidence, but don't have too much confidence. Right. Notice your flaws. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that it is so much uh, like trying to appeal to the male gaze kind of stuff. Yeah. And like, and that you're... Uh, like that your value or like your worth as a woman is kind of connected to like your sexual currency and ability to, um, you know, and it's weird to me that like romantic relationships even kind of get broken down into like economic terms. Like, yeah. what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what is this? Yeah. This is so bizarre. You know, so, but I think there is, and especially like for, young women like that uh you know you've got to be attractive to attract a mate you know um and i think that there's i mean i guess obviously guys are not immune from it as evidenced by my uncle who you know went through his own whole thing but um but i definitely think that the pressure on guys is a bit different and to me it always seemed like and this may just be my perception maybe if you talk to a bunch of dudes they would feel very differently than this but it seemed to me like the range of what is like kind of socially acceptable in a man's body is a lot wider than what is acceptable in a woman's body and the the ideal seems a lot less uh, far-fetched, I guess. I feel like, and the ideal in women's bodies seems like it changes like every 10 years. Like we went from, uh, you know, the sort of super skinny, mm-hmm. I don't know, 90s look to, well, like, yeah. to yeah. like that, mm-hmm. I don't like Kardashian, you know, yeah. whatever kind of aesthetic that we've gone to now in the span of like, what, 25 years? You know, and then you think back to like the look of, you know the 1980s or the 50s or and it has shifted so dramatically right over time you're exactly right you know and i was even thinking when we look back i i remember you know because i i grew up watching a lot of i, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and grew up watching videos and and there was always in each decade there's a certain look and and i remember specifically when Years later, America's Next Top Model came out in um, Tyra Banks, and she would talk about how she was criticized for her body shape. And then other models began to talk about how they were idolized for how they looked when their weight was so abnormal because they were told you cannot eat. You're a size four, you need to go down to a size two. If you're a size two, you need to be a zero. And just the pressure that they felt. Right. And and I remember a couple of the models saying how they would eat, like they would count like little bits of apple and, and they'd eat, you know, just ridiculously small amounts of food, eating disorder, okay? Yeah. 
and and they talked about the the binging and the purging and and all, the restricting and all of these things. Right. And then mainstream America, all these women are trying to to get their bodies to look like that. Right. Right. Because then somehow that gets like framed up as the ideal, not only of beauty, but yeah. somehow that also gets conflated into the ideal of health as oh, well. Yeah. Yes. And like when you know, like what a lot of these models are doing to achieve and to maintain that size, it's like, is, is that, is that really the pinnacle of health that we should all be striving towards? Right. Because I'm not really not really convinced, you know, <laughs> right. Even, even when you look at like female athletes and the kind of pressure on, on like women athletes to maintain, you know, a certain physique to the point where like they're losing their menstrual cycles because yeah. of, I guess I will gently describe as unhealthy eating patterns, you know, being sort of an adult athlete myself. Like I, I understand that there's some sports where, uh, kind of being in a larger body is going to make your sport more difficult for you. So like you kind of want to maintain a certain size to be able to achieve at that level in your sport. But I feel like they, some of the coaches and leagues create environments and you'll hear every once in a while, one of these women will speak out on like, you know, like my coach wouldn't let me eat any food. You know, I'm training to the point of throwing up and the coach wouldn't let me eat. And, um, it's just really, I think, I don't know. It's just sad, I think, how we have kind of come to this in our culture. Sure. So I want to talk about you as an athlete, but before I get to that, was there a specific moment in which you said enough is enough? This is my body. I love my body. I'm going to work on being healthy without obsessing over the, the weight on the scale. Was there, I don't know, you know. Yeah, so... I kind of hit what I call like a diet rock bottom. Um, I had done like got a million different things to try to uh, sh basically shrink my body. Um, eventually I got connected with a coach who um, she had me on a pretty regimented meal and workout plan. So the meal plan was, you know, it's like one of those like fish and broccoli on Wednesday and then chicken and broccoli on Thursday. And then we do fish and broccoli again on Friday. So it was just not really very enjoyable to follow this plan. And, you know, all the time I'm kind of having to cook two meals most days or times because like my whole family doesn't want to eat that. Mm -hmm. She also had me on um, a whole array of supplements and that might be like a generous, they basically were like diet pills um, mm -hmm. of different sorts. One meal per week, you got what was like a free meal. So on my free meal days, I was going out and eating literally every single thing to the point where I would feel like, like almost like physically ill. Like, because I had, because I spent all week eating like a bird and then went out for dinner on Friday night with my family and ate my whole meal plus an appetizer plus whatever was left on anyone else's plate and then got a dessert because it was like, you're so restricted that now that the chance has come, I'm going to eat all the things. Yeah. I started to think, because uh, I also have background in clinical social work and you know how us social workers are, we'll diagnose anyone with anything. Right. <laughs> I, st I started to think that I had binge eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So I picked up a book about how to, uh, like how to stop binge eating. Um, and in reading that book, that introduced me to intuitive eating. And the very, very basicest concept of it is that the restricting is what actually causes the binges. So those periods of time where you're trying to kind of restrain or like control your eating sets you up for binging um, because it's like you're being quote good. And then, you know, they also talk a lot about how we attach moral value to foods and equate things to like, I'm being good today. I'm eating my salad or like, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be good and just eat, you know, my apple mm -hmm. um, or like, 
I'm going to be bad and get dessert where, you know, you'll see different jokes a lot that are like the, the only way that your food is bad is, or the only time that your food makes you bad is if you like kill the guy to get it. <laughs> like, right. like then you're being bad for eating that food. Okay. That book, you know, kind of introduced me to those ideas. And once I, it was sort of like, once you pull the blind back, you can't really unsee it. Right. And to be honest, before I read that book, I don't know that I had ever really heard the words diet culture, or if I had, they probably just went over my head. And now it's, to realize how much diet culture is everywhere. It's everywhere all around us. Like it's in the air that we breathe. Um, and it it's just so normalized, I think, that like if you're in a bigger body that you should want to lose weight. Right. Um, you don't, what, what, why not? What's wrong with you? Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, even when when you're in a bigger body and you're working out, People assume like, oh, are you trying to lose weight? Uh, no, uh -huh. nope, just working out. That's it. Oh. <laughs> it's just, I mean, just even thinking about that, just that last part of, oh, you're working out now, you know, you're trying to lose weight. That's a common question. I've had to over the last probably, maybe, I don't know if it's been 10 years or not, but it's been a while. I don't, when people say to me, oh, you look like you've lost weight. I don't give a, oh, thank you, because that's not a compliment. And, and I learned years ago, not to give compliments to people that I noticed that they had lost weight. Right. Because in my mind, it reinforced, oh, to be a little bit bigger. That's, that's bad. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Have you experienced that at all where somebody like made a comment and, and if so, like, how did that make you feel? I mean, during times when I would be trying to do things to lose weight, you know, you do like All everyone and anyone will, will jump in there to, to comment on it. And I gotta be honest, like sometimes the, the focus like on my body would make me really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then there were definitely times where I don't know, I was working out, but I wasn't really paying that much attention to my weight and people would comment on my weight. And it was a little like, uh, I don't know, like, I don't really want to talk about this. Yeah. Like, can we talk about something else? Right. Um, you know, and then there were other times where I'd be like working really hard to intentionally try to lose weight, but it still was like, I, I don't really want to like talk about this. Yeah. It's not a subject of like, I want to see it in myself and be part of myself in here and, you know, but I don't want to have a dialogue with you about my weight loss. <laughs> and I also, you know, not all weight loss is intentional and it's not right. all healthy. I don't like, I have a friend who survived breast cancer and while she was undergoing treatment, she had some folks that she worked with that didn't know. And they would comment on her weight loss and be like, Oh, what, what's your secret? <laughs> Oh, chemo. <laughs> right. Chemo is my secret. You know what? I can, this is like a little bit of an abrupt left turn, but my, like, I can remember my grandmother would say things like, uh, like that she would like give her left arm to like, to have a certain woman's body. Mm -hmm. It was always such like a weird yes. thing to me. And not to not to throw like shade on people who don't have left arms at all. But right. at the same time, like why would you trade like healthy, yeah. fully functioning body parts yeah. to look a certain way? Like I'm just not sure. So yeah. Sorry. No, you're you're exactly right. So you mentioned earlier that you are an athlete and I know you're a fitness instructor and personal trainer. What kind of, you know, what kind of sports do you play? So I, um, I started, it all started with a triathlon when I was okay. like 21 or 22 years old. And I had never been an athlete, never been what? an athlete at all. And so I was in college and I had started to go to the gym at my college and they had an indoor track. And so I didn't know anything about working out or about any sports. And so I was like, oh, I can put on sneakers and just jog around the indoor track. And it just seemed like an easy thing to go and do and not look dumb because <laughs> anything more, I was afraid I would look like I didn't know what I was doing because 
I didn't know what I was doing. It started with that. And then I found, I don't know, somewhere online, some ad, I saw an ad for this women only triathlon in Philly. I think I could do that. Um, the swim, it was a sprint distance. So sprint distance tries are, you know, generally, I don't know the swim distance, but you're talking a bike that's usually somewhere between 10 to 15 miles and then a 5k or a three mile run. And it's kind of weird that they measure in both imperial and metric units, but you know, whatever it is, what it is. So I came home and I told my husband, I don't think we were married yet. I was like, I think I want to do a triathlon. And he was like, what? He's like, but you don't really swim. And I mean, like, you don't like bike, bike, like, and you barely run. And I was like, uh, yeah, I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. So I trained my butt off. I did this race gradually from that like you know through so that was like early 20s then obviously had kids and lots of other things happened eventually i got more into just running i started running um like trail ultra distances so i've done a couple of 50k runs and um yeah like a road marathon like few different like kind of long distance running things. And I also got into powerlifting. Uh, so powerlifting is like strictly uh, bench press, deadlift and barbell back squat. And the point is literally just to lift as heavy as you can for one rep. You see a lot of people doing like Olympic lifting. Yes. So mm -hmm. this is not that Olympic lifting. Dude, it looks so amazing to me, but it also looks a little bit scary. <laughs> like this is just bench, deadlift and squat. And that's it. You have classes, but then you also have weight neutral, a weight neutral fitness service. Can you talk a little bit about that, please? Yeah. So weight neutral fitness just means, I mean, it's what it sounds like. It's fitness that is not focused on changing your body weight. And I think you'll hear a lot of different language in, so like sometimes I use the word body positive, but I think that they're I, I don't think there are people who will describe themselves as being body positive, but they are still pro intentional weight loss. Right. Right. So I like the word body positive and I like the intention behind it, but I think that it sometimes is less clear or specific than it could be. So you will hear me use that to describe myself, but I don't know that it's the best word. I feel like um, weight neutral is probably the word that I think best describes the work that I'm doing, but you'll also hear folks talk about um, like fat positive or weight inclusive or fat inclusive. And I think to me, all of them hit a little bit differently, right? So I like weight neutral, but, um, you know, I can obviously get way into the weeds about the language that we use. So I started off this year with a, um, it was a body positive boot camp. It was basically like an eight week fitness program. We worked on uh, gentle nutrition skills, on kind of mindset skills, and then body acceptance throughout the entire program. And I have not necessarily tried to work only with women, but that is who I have ended up working with. If And the women that went through that program it was really interesting because everybody started kind of at different places. Like I had some folks who had not a lot of fitness experience. I had some people who were already really pretty active. Um, I had some people who had already been on a like weight neutral or like an intuitive eating journey for some time. And I had other people who were still a little bit, I want to be body positive, but if I lost some weight, that would be cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I had people like all across the spectrum and it was really interesting to see the ways that, that different participants used the tools that, that we were, that I was providing to them and how they were able to incorporate things in their journey. So for some of the people, the big win was just getting into like a consistent movement routine. For some of them, um, I had a client who, I have this story that like I've shared on social media or probably on po other podcasts or whatever, where 
So when I was trail running, um, when you run long distances, your during the run nutrition is a really big focal point because you got to be able to fuel yourself, but you can't like, you can't sit down and eat a whole like cheesesteak mid run, or you're going to give yourself like, you're going to feel like crap, right? The thing that I found that worked for me was to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich kind of halfway through my run. And it was just enough that I didn't feel over full or sick, but it was enough food that it gave me some sugar, some protein, some kind of complex carbs. And I felt like I had something in my belly where if all I did was like eat little goo packets or whatever, that doesn't feel like food in my belly. And so I end up feeling just very hungry, like my stomach gnawing on itself. And that's not really cool to run like that either. When I was working with that, the last coach that I worked with, she didn't want me to do that because it was like too many calories. I, I was like, I, like, I kind of have to, like, I hate to be weird and rigid about a thing, but like this works and I've tried other things and they don't work. And this works and like i'm not talking about like a 20 minute jog around the block like i'm going out for hours running on the trails so there was a time where like i went on a run ate the peanut butter and jelly didn't tell the coach that i ate it and then had all this weird like shame about lying to my coach about a freaking peanut butter and jelly that i ate in the middle of some four hour long run. Right. And it was like, is this really my life right now? Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I've talked about that experience on my social media and uh, I had a client message me during the body positive bootcamp. She had done like a cycling class where, you know, it was just one of those like really tough rides and she was super proud of herself and came off the bike and normally would not eat food because she felt like eating food canceled out canceled out the workout that like then it would make the workout not count if she ate something and she got off her bike and went to her kitchen and ate i believe a peanut butter <laughs> right well as i hear you tell the story it's like what i hear you saying to listeners is you know your body yeah listen to what helps you and your body to function and to do what it needs to do yes <laughs> And silence everything else. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And I, I think that that's one of the, so one of the things that I work with clients a lot in like in my programs, like the Body Positive Bootcamp, um, I have another program starting up on May 1st. But one of the things that we work on a lot is mindfulness and using mindfulness to develop better awareness, you know, within your body. And then to work with that to kind of drill down to like, what is it that you need? What is it that you want? Um, what is going to feel good in your body? You know, what's gonna, does that, is that leading into when you talk about what, what's going to feel good in your body? Is that related to intuitive eating? Yes. For anyone who's like not familiar with intuitive eating, there's 10 principles of intuitive eating. And I mean, I, without like kind of diving into all 10 principles. I mean, the you kind of start with like at the beginning, it's really about getting away from diet culture and sort of starting to recognize that and recognizing the impact and extent to which diet culture has uh, kind of manipulated all of us. You know, and I think we've talked about a few different ways that, that has impacted us. Um, and then once you have that kind of foundation, and that is, you know, like I talk about sort of the veil being pulled away. And once you see it, you can't unsee it, right. you know, then you start moving into kind of awareness of appetites, both hunger and fullness. And, you know, I want to be clear, intuitive eating is not like a hunger fullness diet, because the point isn't to lose weight. And you don't necessarily only eat when you're hungry, right? Like if I'm, I don't know, uh, going to go birthday party because now that I talked about birthday parties, I got that on the head. Um, so if you go to a birthday party and it's time for birthday cake, you're not necessarily hungry then, but, but it's a birthday and it's cake. Mm -hmm. So you eat cake and like, that's fine, right? Like that's not going to destroy your health for the rest of your life. Um, so you know, then we move into 
awareness of hunger and fullness, then there's several principles where we focus on um, on satisfaction, on getting satisfaction from your food. And I think that food should be pleasurable and enjoyable. And I think that diet culture has largely robbed us of that and made us feel like we should like feel guilty for enjoying eating when like at the, I don't know, kind of primal level, eating is a thing that should be enjoyable to us as humans. And I feel like diet culture kind of snatched that away from most, if not all of us, and made us feel like, like, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't derive pleasure from food. And to me, it's always felt, I don't know if you would agree, I'd love to hear your opinion on this, but it always felt like as it relates to diet culture, the focus has never been about underneath. The focus has never been about you feeling good about yourself or loving your body. Diet culture feeds off of always making you hate your body. Yes. Thrives off of body hatred. Yes. And most self-esteem and shame and all of that stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And always moving, moving the uh, bar a little bit further. Right. But yes, the point, like diet culture isn't happy to see you feel satisfied with yourself because a person who feels good about their body isn't going to you know, buy the thing, whatever the thing may be, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's supplements or, you know, some kind of program, some kind of, yeah. Yeah. Some kind of equipment. The, the, the goal is always to keep you focused on <laughs> your imperfections and how your body isn't good enough because that's how they make their billions. Yes. I don't know. I'm just curious when, because a lot of the, you said you, you primarily, or you mainly work with, with women, which makes sense given all of the issues that we go through with, with our bodies. And, um, and we're certainly so hard on ourselves in that regard. We talked about that earlier for any of my listeners. And I'm even thinking about my clients right now that struggle with shame and disordered eating and that diet culture addiction What's one thing, just one simple thing that if they're tuning in right now, that you can say, if this is something you're dealing with today, start here or do this one thing to help out. Diversify your social media feed. <laughs> um, I So I would look for, you know, either fat athletes, athletes in larger bodies, look for, I don't know, fat models. Uh, yes. Just at literally anyone diversify your feed. Mm-hmm. If you want a step one A, I would also add unfollow anything or anyone that makes you feel crappy about yourself. But yes. just as a simple beginning, you know, I I think that our culture prioritizes certain bodies to be in the spotlight. And if you don't actively and intentionally seek out to see bodies that don't fit that, uh, you know, stereotype, I'm in the middle of um, listening to the audiobook of um, The Body is Not an Apology. I love it. Oh my gosh. So good. So good. So she's been talking about the idea of like the default body. Um, and I think if you don't purposefully seek out to see people who don't fit whatever is the default body, you're not going to see them, right? And so you don't realize how much, you know, everyone doesn't look like, like a, I don't know, top level CrossFit athlete. And I think being able to see, for me, especially seeing athletes in larger bodies and being able to realize like you don't have to get smaller to be an athlete, you know? Um, And there's a ton of like amazing women out there. I mean, there's a like Myrna Valerio. uh, She's the Myrna Vader and she is a runner, uh, runs crazy long distances um, in a larger body. There's um, women like Meg Boggs is another one. Um, She's more like more lifting and, you know, other, there's a woman, the powerlifting social worker who is a powerlifter and a social wow. worker. She is an awesome one to follow for a, you know, for a woman in a larger body working out. And I think the more that you intentionally 
try to seek these people out, it starts to become easier to, to see, to feel like maybe my body is okay. Maybe my body is fine the way it is. Yeah. Curate your social media. The other thing, um, just that, that I noticed a few years ago when I was really getting fed up with conversations about weight loss and just not being good enough or, or small enough. Before I opened my private practice, I remember going to work and there were these women that I worked with, my coworkers, who every day we'd get in our little huddle and I hate small talk, but they, they do their little small talk. And undoubtedly within minutes, somebody would say, oh, I really need to lose 10 pounds. Or, oh, I shouldn't be eating that. And they just kind of fed off of each other. Yeah. And at a certain point in my life, I would also participate in those body hating, fat, fat phobic, <laughs> fat shaming conversations. And I, I remember I was sitting at the conference table and, and just kind of looked at them and I thought, I'm not having another damn conversation about weight. I'm done. Yeah. And yeah. so sometimes we have to be willing to dismiss ourselves from conversations and people, like you said, that make us feel bad about ourselves. Yeah. I think yeah. that it, it definitely is a way that women will connect with each other. And it's like, I, I don't know. I feel like it's just uh, the patriarchy fucking loves it yeah. when all that we talk to each other about is like beauty tips and tricks. Like, like, gosh, the patriarchy just is like, ha, 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 I've got them. Yeah. <laughs> when, when like, that's the best thing that we have to talk to each other about like there's so yeah. much else so much yeah. else out there you know mm -hmm. think about like like i saw a thing like making fun of the uh women's like beauty magazines where it's like one headline that is like love your body whatever and then like lose 20 pounds now so i don't <laughs> you're exactly right you're so right so with the work that you do like we talked about before you work with a lot of women what's one thing that when they walk away or they're going on and you know maybe they've reached that mindset that you're you're helping them with what do you hope that they walk away with though feeling or thinking as it relates to their bodies or their weight? I mean, I would hope that they would walk away feeling strong, feeling like they are worthy, worthy of taking care of themselves and that they can take good care of their bodies without also battling with their weight. So I've got another question that just popped into me, popped into my mind because I was telling somebody that I was going to have this conversation with you. You know, she said, well, as somebody that she said, I've struggled with, how do I have better conversations? She, you know, with my daughters, she was saying, I don't know how to say to them, you know, that you're okay, because that's something that I still struggle with because it, so, so what would you have to say about that? So I think that focusing more on what what your kids' bodies can do and less on their appearance is one thing that's important. And I think trying to avoid applying food rules, um, which can be hard because like you see your kids, you want your kids to eat well, to eat healthy. But in general, it's more important just to offer a wide variety of foods and then hopefully, you know, they're they're not going to just eat potato chips all darn day every day right and they might overdo it on certain things but they're gonna you know come back around and eat other things um so i have i have two boys and then my sister lives right next door to me and has two little ones as well and i will say our kids run quite a spectrum in body sort of shape and type and uh my my 11 year old tends towards the larger side i want to say about two years ago we went to a pediatrician appointment where the pediatrician gave us uh you know a little bit of a spiel about his bmi and she like she tried to be kind about it she wasn't like super mean even at that it was still enough that we got home and about a day or so later he comes to me with this plan that he's like 
and mind you, like at the time he was about nine or so, he comes to me with this plan that like, mom, I'm going to only eat healthy food every day. And then if I do that all week long, I'll get a point for every day that I eat healthy. And then I can have McDonald's if I get all of my points for the week. And I'm like, yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> no, yes, good for that's, you. that's a big no. We're not right. doing that. Um, so this year his, uh, his wealth visit came up and I actually called ahead to the office and asked them to like refrain from, um, from talking about his BMI. Mm -hmm. Uh, the doctor still broached it a little bit, but not as directly as the last one. So it didn't seem to get my son like too fussed, you know? And what was interesting is that the doctor, like what he talks about is like being active and eating good foods. And the thing is like, my kid is active and he does eat good foods. He still gets his Doritos in. <laughs> But he eats plenty of vegetables. He likes a lot of different kinds of foods and he's a pretty good eater, you know? And he also, he loves to bike. He loves to hike. He's a pretty active kid. Definitely gets his screen time as well. But it's not like, you know, he's a total couch potato. And I think that there's this assumption that if you eat good foods and you're active, that you will have a small body. Yes. Exactly. And it's right. weird that this is another sort of abrupt shift, but yeah. we accept that people are naturally thin, that there are people out there who eat like crap and are not very active at all, but are just thin anyway. They are. Yeah. Right. And we accept that that is like a, like a normal occurrence, right? That's just a That's thing a that standard. happens, but we yeah. can't accept that there are people who engage in a lot of health promoting behaviors, but still happen to have a fat body. And it's kind of weird to me, like why, why can we believe in one, but it's hard for us to believe in the other one. Right. On the flip side, my niece is a uh, three and she has a really just natural penchant for gymnastics and she's crazy strong. And for a three-year-old, she's super muscular and people will comment on her body in ways sometimes that I'm like, I don't feel like this is very healthy. And I hate, I hate to see the kid develop, um, I guess, get her worth and her confidence kind of too tied up in her physique, you know? So I try to focus on like the cool things that she can do and on how strong she is. Cause she's crazy strong. I try to focus on that more that, and yeah, it does catch your attention. Sometimes you see this little baby flex and you're like, Oh my gosh, look at her triceps popping out. She's three. Wow. <laughs> um, but, but I still, you know, you try to avoid focusing on that too much because I just don't want for her to kind of grow up with, with feeling like that's where her worth as a person comes from and, and feel like if her body shape becomes different than that, because it will, because our bodies change through our lifespan that she has lost her, uh, like sense of value or whatever. Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, with, with kids and you definitely you've got to work on applying it to yourself mm -hmm. because i feel like my grandmother at times she would try to i think encourage me to feel better about myself you know she would you know try to like well you're not fat you're you're just curvy and you have a beautiful shape and you know whatever things like that and she would try to apply it to me but I still watched what she said about herself. Oh, that's powerful. So you, you can't kind of tear yourself apart and tell your kids, but, but not you though, you know, your body's okay. It's just mine. That's not, mm -hmm. um, kids, here's the thing. They're very intuitive because they've been listening to you since they were in utero. Mm -hmm. The moms. Yeah, they've been listening since they since they were in utero. They know your voice. That <laughs> they know your facial expressions. They watch everything that we do, and so they they watch you restricting. They watch you saying, "Oh, I'm not going to do that because um, 
you know, that that's bad for me. Right. Or I don't want to get fat. Or look at that fat person over there. Oh, she needs to lose some weight. Or did you see her? Or yeah, you know, they they listen to all of that. Mm-hmm. And 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 so and then you are telling them this is how you should feel about your own body and about your own weight. And then you help them to develop a healthy or unhealthy relationship with food. Yeah. And and the cycle continues. Um, okay. So if listeners want to follow you on social, if they want to check out your work and anything that, that you have going on, um, where can they find you, Jess? I am on Facebook and Instagram at Enlighten Well. So no E-D, just Enlighten Well. Uh, my web address is enlightenwellllc.com. I have, you know, a little email newsletter that I send out periodically. So that's a good spot to sign up for that. I email maybe about once or twice a month. I don't go too crazy, you know, and definitely anything that I've, any new programs that I'm doing, I'm always posting that stuff on social, but I also, you know, I try to post some like mindfulness and just general exercise tips and definitely talk a bit about, you know, what weight neutral fitness is, what it is like, or can be like to try to live in a weight neutral way um talk about like intuitive eating and different things like that so i've got three more questions and they're just unrelated fun questions when you want to get your body moving and 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 you 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 know what kind of music do you listen to to get your body moving so i listen to a lot of different types of music and it definitely depends on my mood when i plan um like workout playlists, a lot of times for my classes and stuff, I love to come up with a theme and sometimes like really bizarre themes. <laughs> like I've done uh, workouts with just Disney songs, which when I when I started that class and I'm like, okay, today's playlist is Disney jams. The, the women in the class were kind of like, what the fuck? <laughs> exactly i'm like oh. and then but then they at the end they were like that was actually really good and i was like singing along with every single song <laughs> like see um so i like to come up with uh with themes for my playlists um like i have just recently started doing a monthly holiday themed virtual spin class. So last month I did a St. Patrick's Day themed class. And that playlist was, I had so much freaking fun. It was like Dropkick Murphys. And then, you know, you got to get like the Irish bands. So you get like U2 and like the zombies or I'm sorry, the Cranberries. The song is zombie. Who or what makes you laugh? Probably my kids. My kid, they, and my niece and nephew too, just a lot of them. I mean, they're just ridiculous. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't, I can't even come up with a specific story of something sure. that my niece has done recently, but she's three and three-year-olds are the funniest people in the planet. Mm -hmm. um, and she's funny. She'll do or say something that is absolutely hilarious. Oh, here's a good one she was doing something goofy and my sister says to her just in like that jokey mom way she's like where did you come from and this baby says to her hell my sister and i were crying we were laughing so hard and then then you know now we have now made the mistake of laughing at that so now she's like oh oh that was funny i'm gonna say it a hundred more times now but like where even did she hear a thing like that i don't even know i don't even know where she heard that who or what when you think about inspiration who or what inspires you you know I feel like I see a lot of like just regular women out here doing amazing things you know and kind of like while juggling jobs and kids and just life and it's I don't know it's just incredible sometimes to see my friend who goes through like cancer like with young kids and working and just juggles all of that stuff and still like keeps swinging man and i think it's really i feel like sometimes we look like really high for inspiration when like 
like dude i i can look like just right like shoot my sister is like she has a uh, narcolepsy so she struggles a lot with um you know sleep and fatigue but still does all these awesome things with her kids and my kids and she does all this like i don't know i'm not like uh the super domestic person mm -hmm. but she cooks and she sews and does all this cool crafty stuff and i'm like i i don't even how are you doing all of it <laughs> i don't know how you do this stuff and i don't know it's just it's super inspiring just to see she sounds strong and amazing she is and she deals with this tiny child who apparently came from hell yeah yeah <laughs> i love that i love 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 that <laughs> that is so cool so it almost took me out <laughs> so this conversation has been just amazing i'm so i feel honored that you know that you're here talking to me about all of this um i know it's going to help a lot of people and so uh thank you so much for being with me today yeah thank you so much for having me it's it was uh definitely awesome to, to chat with you and i appreciate it thank you for joining me this week on when we speak please make sure you visit the website at tashahunterauthor.com while you're at it if you found value in the show i would appreciate leaving a rating it will help others find the show more easily and hopefully be a benefit to them as well.